You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. With that, I want to bring up my friend, Devin Kleffer. Um, Devin is going to be teaching today, and I want to just give you a little bit of the backstory for Devin. Devin is a uh, teacher and administrator, and probably depending on the day, it depends on which one you're doing more of at Monta Vista Christian School. Um, Devin and his wife, Rachel, were big... Um, core members of starting this church 16 and almost a half years ago. Devin was one of the very first elders at this church. And yet some of you might be going, I don't think I've met this guy. Um, You, you've probably heard his voice. If you've ever listened to our sermon podcast, he's the welcome to faith community. He's, he's that voice. If you've listened to our rooted podcast, which is stories of the lives of people of this church, Devin is the host of that. But here's a little bit of the backstory, and this is one of the cool stories of our, our life as a church. Um, I don't even know, what would it say, like eight years ago-ish? Somewhere in there, yeah. Devin started to really realize he was really wrestling with social anxiety. And church is not conducive to True. handling life That's when true. you're having social anxiety. And so for a while, Devin just couldn't be a part of things. You know, we had conversations, you were like... I want to be with God's people, but uh, what do I do? And I said, you can hang out in the back and cower if you need to. And whatever. I did. And he, I'm the back and cowered. He, yes. and, or not come, right, right for, right. for times. And then Devin has been super faithful. He's been part of the live stream team during the pandemic. And after a long time, I said, you used to preach at this church a long time ago. Yeah. You think you might be ready? And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but here he is. Here I am. Here he is. And so I just think I wanted to just introduce that to you as like part of his story and part of how God is at work in all of our lives. Just because you're on the preaching team doesn't mean, hey, I got it all dialed up. Totally. I'm all good. Totally. So I want to give it over to you, Devin. Thank you. Take it, my friend. All right. Thank you. Um, so I have to put these on at this point. Um, and I have to raise this. And there's not so much light up here as one would imagine either. So if I squint or pause to read my notes, just bear with me and pray for my old man eyes. Um, so Andy's right. I teach high school. And um, I'll admit to you right now that being um, someone who has anxiety and introversion, um, I'm a little nervous right now. Because um, not, not for those reasons, but because as a high school teacher, I'm not used for my audience making eye contact with me. Um, so it would be super helpful for my anxiety if you could just pull out your device and just maybe, if you guys over here could message them over there, that would be awesome. And then um, somebody, if I could get a volunteer, that just at some point just, you could even pretend just to pull out an AirPod and say, wait, what did he say? What, 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 are, you, what are we doing? That would make me feel so much more at ease. Um, it's, it's, typically not that bad um, on, on most days, and, and my brother and fellow faculty member Jeremiah can, can attest for that. Um, but one of my favorite conversations to have at any point in the year is in January, and I, I teach U.S. history and, and podcasting, <clears throat> sorry, podcasting, and, and in doing that, I, I teach history through macro themes, right? And one of the themes that we study is industrialization and innovation in U.S. history. And that's always starts in January. And the kids come back from break and they're still a little sleepy eyed. And, 
it's a good time to actually kind of pop this question on them when we talk about innovation and industrialization. I say, you know, what, what is the greatest invention in the history of history? The greatest invention. And, and you can start to see some of, you know, two, two weeks after break, some of the wheels turning like an old steam engine, metal on metal tension sparks start to fly. And some kids might even look like they have neurons beginning to fire and almost connect and then nothing. Um, which is all right, because I, I tell them it's okay. I'll see you in summer school. Um, or as I call it, job security. Um, and, and inevitably, they'll go through a cycle of things. In fact, you probably have rolled through a couple of things yourself about like, well, what, what is the greatest invention in the history of history? And so let, this could be a total dumpster fire, and I'm okay with that. But let, let's just do a little test. So someone just shout out, what do you think the greatest invention of the history, in the history of history is? Ammonia. Ammonia. Did I hear cars? The wheel. The wheel. The guitar. The guitar. The dishwasher. Oh, dishwashers. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, well, um, here's the good news. You're all wrong, but you're collectively wrong. So there's strength in numbers. That's good. Um, the greatest invention in the history of history. Well, let me, it's probably just better if I demonstrate. Can we, can we roll the clip please? And I'm not sure what happened to our sound, but you know, you can probably remember the time when you saw the Snuggie commercial for the very first time. And I hear you're laughing. Oh, there we go. We'll be getting ones with FCC logos this Christmas. Um, now listen, I've, I've heard your laughter and I've seen some eye rolls and I'm here to tell you that like the first time I saw that, I was with you. I saw that infomercial. I'm like, that is the dumbest thing ever. And then I got one. Um, I didn't even get the Snuggie. I got, wait for it, <clears throat> the Slanket. Who said yes? Yes, yes, sister. Okay. The Slanket, as, as she can attest to, the Slanket is better than the Snuggie because it has a little marsupial pouch for you to put your hands in. And it even has a little pouch for your feet to put in. It, and it's amazing. And, and I say that that's the greatest invention of, of human history because, listen, think about the fact that humans existed for thousands of years. And it wasn't until about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that someone said, you know what we should do? We should sew sleeves on blankets. <laughs> right? Like, forget about how the pyramids were built. Forget about putting humans into space and on the moon. If, and I'm convinced of this, and I don't know, this may kind of be a little sacrilege, so bear with me. But I'm convinced if Mary had the slanket, she wouldn't have needed a room at the inn. I'm just putting that out there. Some of you are groaning, and it's okay if you want to pull the hook on me. That's okay. Um, in fairness, in fairness, um, you know I'm right. Um, listen, I... I think it's important that we understand that when we look at my thesis, this is my thesis today, right? That we like comfort. We seek out comfort. 
In fact, if we feel something's not comfortable, like, I don't know, what's a good example? Having introversion and anxiety and having to go through Tara Brown's third circle of introvert hell when we have to, like, meet people. Um, It's good to press into the uncomfortable sometimes. But more times than not, at least if you're anything like me, you tend to go with what's comfortable. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a look at comfort. I want to talk about and take a look at how becoming too comfortable in our walk with Jesus is actually something that can lead to very unintended consequences from our actions. Throughout the series, Come Follow Me, Andy's done a decent job, right? Like, you've done a decent job of really unpacking the... I know. See, for the people that don't know us and don't know that we're celebrating, like, our 22-year friendversary, they think, who is this guy? But it's okay. Um... What we need to understand is that when we're looking at this, this series of Come, Follow Me, we've looked at different examples of how we're meant to listen to the call of Jesus, how we're supposed to actually be engaged and participate in ministry within our community and our church. We've even had Andy talk about things like the ability to forgive. It was just a couple of weeks ago where we even talked about like, oh no, we're going to have problems. Part of being a follower of Jesus is we're going to suffer right? And yet, come follow me. So today we're going to zoom in on a particular scene, and part of it you're probably super familiar with it, because it starts off with the Last Supper, and indeed that's what we talk about whenever we go to the communion phase of our Sunday mornings, and then we're going to kind of go a little bit past that and go into the garden with Jesus and his disciples, and in doing that... We'll see if it's true for you. For me, when I'm familiar with something, I tend to overlook things very easily. And so for me, just pouring over this this week, I came to a spot where it's like, oh, this is new to me. It was always there, but it's new to me. And as we do that, as Andy mentioned, I want to invite you. You can follow along your Bibles. Feel free to bust out the pins or the highlighters. If you have your Bible app, feel free to highlight that as well. I want to pause just for a moment, though, and pray. And then we're going to dig into what this looks like for us here today. God, you are good. And um, my prayer is super simple that your word is heard today, that these brothers and sisters here can leave today having great confidence that you have called them. They can leave here today with great confidence knowing that you have a plan for them. So may your voice be heard today and may our hearts be tender as we receive this. Amen. So now many of us, up to this point of scripture are familiar with the last supper and the events leading up to that. And as I mentioned, sometimes when we become so familiar with something, we tend to overlook the meaning or the things that are there all the time. So I want to begin this morning by reading Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. And if you want to read along, you can, but let me just go ahead and begin there. And then we're going to pause right around verse 30, beginning in verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, The disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, my teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
There was a very sad, they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better before him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which has been poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. So here we go. There's a couple things happening here, right? First off, we get some foreshadowing from Jesus about what's about to go down in the garden. And it's super easy for us to lock in on Judas as the betrayer, and and perhaps rightly so. And at the same time, I think the scene that we're going to see next and explore together next, we're going to see it's not just Judas that's not following directions, that's betraying Jesus and his commands. So let's look a little bit further. Um, When we look at this next part, I also want to point out a couple of things. And, And here is, I think, what really opened my eyes this week as I was studying this next part of the passage. Um, full disclaimer, I am, I am not a therapist, but I have spent many hours on a therapist's couch. So I know a little bit how the human mind works and in particularly how the mind can react to dealing with trauma and stress. And so as we go through this next part of the passage, let me just list out a few things that humans often go through when they're dealing with traumatic events. Disbelief. Sometimes it's called shock, but disbelief we'll use because I, I think it, it, it's very relatable that we can go, wait, is this really happening? Almost a surreal experience. Another emotion that sometimes gone through is obsessing, right? We, we can't let the thought go. We, we, we keep going back to something to try to figure something out. And then we might leave it for a little while and then we might come back to it again. We, we often go through a bargaining or bartering phase, right? For whichever power that we might go to in that particular situation to try to say, like, if you can just, can we just change this? Can we, can we make it different? There's also a depression phase, right? Where it's almost this realization that the circumstances are so dire and it's starting to hit home that we get weepy, And then, of course, uh, what some of you are probably familiar is the acceptance phase of things. It's finally coming to a a stage where we say, like, okay, I've cycled through these emotions. um, And and now I have come to this point where I now accept whatever the situation is. And for those of you that have maybe had traumatic events in life, whether it is loss of a relationship or a death in the family or a loved one, you have probably felt some of those, if not all of those emotions in varying degrees and levels at any given time. Uh, one of the other things I know that's true about dealing with trauma and traumatic events is that all of those emotions aren't necessary in a linear fashion. 
right? You don't necessarily start here and automatically work your way through each one of them just like that. In fact, sometimes you'll ping pong between a couple of them. Sometimes you'll think, man, I'm really close to acceptance. I'm feeling really good. And then there's a trigger and you feel the whole thing over again, right? So we're going to take that and we're going to zoom in on Jesus in the garden. And one of the things that we're going to see is how he cycles through each of these emotions, if not once, multiple times in a very, very short window of time. And that's really one of the things that stood out most to me this week is the opportunity to see how he was handling the circumstances that he was involved in. Here's also, let me just throw this in there. What science tells us actually happens to the brain physiologically whenever we're dealing with the trauma caused by, in this particular case, betrayal. Here's the quote. Betrayal is abandonment at the highest level. When betrayal occurs, the brain begins to operate in a different way. The fear center fires up and stay fires up, creating hypervigilance, restlessness, anxiety, and a sense of being perpetually on guard. I want to see if you can see those things playing out in real time as we read this next part of the passage. I'm going to go ahead and read this next part of the passage beginning in verse 31. And I may pause once in a while to kind of point some of those out. Um, it may, for those of you who like to take notes, be a good opportunity just to kind of jot that down as well. So picking up in verse 31. Then Jesus told them, the disciples, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sound familiar? Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. There's your depression piece. To the point of death. In fact, some different interpretations actually phrase this as the sorrow is crushing my life soul. Stay here, Jesus tells the disciples, and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. There's the bargaining, bargaining piece. Yet not as I will, but your will. There's an acceptance piece. Then as he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, disbelief, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Again, bargaining, depression, perhaps some acceptance in there as well. When he came back, starting to see some obsessing going on, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? 
Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer acceptance. I've read that passage. I I don't know how many times, but it was the first time where I saw the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings cycle through emotions that I was very familiar with. And for me, that meant a couple of things for me. One, it meant that he understands when I go through those things, he he's been there, done that. And two, it brings me comfort knowing that as, as he went through this, ultimately he came to a spot where he accepted not um, his own comfort or his own desire for comfort, but ultimately what God wanted to be done. There is a lot going on there. Um, but I think one of the things that's also important for us to pick up on today is these disciples were all handpicked by Jesus, right? And yet they ultimately fell short in perhaps his most important hour. See, I hope you not only see how Jesus navigated and cycles through the stages of this traumatic event, but we also get a grasp on the fact that Jesus isn't the only one that betrays the Lord's commands. In seminary, I once had a professor um, ask the class, and this is such a weird question to ask, um, which biblical character do you find yourself most resonating with? And I know, right? It's like this really awkward, weird Christian pickup line. Um, and it is. Don't use it. Don't use it. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people said like, oh, David or Paul. And I always thought to myself, like, bold statement. And one dude actually said Samson. For the record, he had amazing hair. But um, I, I, I look at this passage. I look at this passage and I say like, but me, I'm those guys. I'm the dudes that are falling asleep because that seems to be what's super comfortable and right to do in the moment. When the disciples or ourselves choose comfort over commitment, we can find ourselves veering from the path that God has put before us. It is common for me, like those disciples in that moment, to not always get the fuller picture of what's going on. Like me and those disciples in the moment, I can also just be focused on my wants and perceived needs at any given time and follow those out. I love, there's a version of an interpretation of the Bible called The Message written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And it attempts to bring some things into contemporary language. And one of the things that I love about it is, is how he describes this scene. Let me first read you the NIV verse, which reads, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now listen to the messages interpretation of this. There's part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God. But there's another part that is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by a fire. Um, that's me. I'm the disciple in the slanket <laughs> focused on my comfort. Right? And, and let's be honest, I'm in good company because in, in, in an honest moment, we would probably all say we have varying degrees of comfort that we enjoy in our lives. And we'll go to those things in order to 
to, to have that comfort. Let me give you a couple of examples that, that may hit home. Um, a lot of you, a lot of us, park in the same spots every week. We know who it is now. Um, a lot of us sit in the same seats every week. Thank you. Amen. Um, a lot of us get comfort knowing that at any given day, I can look like I know where the kitchen sit. I know where the wife's sit. And that brings me comfort, right? We get comfort from that. We love comfort. There's no getting around it. And, and in doing so, whenever our comfort risks disruption, we, we, we get anxious about things. It becomes very uncomfortable for us very quickly. Comfort is something that we crave. The source of our comfort is what we need to focus on, though. Let me take it that little example to the next level. Um, I want you to think about, and please, you don't need to out yourself, um, but I want you to think about regulars at any given coffee spot, okay? That actually never order regular coffee. I don't get that. But anyway, um, so ingrained into a repetitive behavior and find comfort in their specific drink that's made just so that if they don't have that, it can throw the entire day off. I want to read to you. These are actual Starbucks orders. I mean, I've read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. But actual Starbucks orders that baristas had, had written in, right? A vent, I don't even know. What is a vente? Is that a big one? 20 hours. 20- I didn't even finish the question and she had answered it. Okay, a Vinte Berry Hibiscus Refresher with 25 packets of equal sweetener. Oh yeah, it gets better. Um, a Grande Green Tea Latte, one pump classic, non-fat, six enormous scoops of matcha, 195 degrees, and in all caps, absolutely no foam. Grande in a Vinte Cup, Grande in a vintage cup. Okay. 20 pumps vanilla, 20 pumps hazelnut, whole milk, 190 degrees, add whipped cream and extra caramel drizzle latte. And an AED device to shock you back to life after you do that. Okay. But here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. Just hand me the cup. It'll be easier if I draw it out for you. Right? We love being comfortable. We love comfort, right? You've heard the phrase comfort food, and that's different for all of us, right? It's called that for a reason, though. See, we don't need to be this, what I'll loosely term as like a Judas-level betrayer to, to find Jesus calling to us before we lead ourselves astray out of our desire to find comfort in our life. It gets easy to point the finger at Judas and say, like, I would never do that. In fact, Peter does that twice, and he still betrays Jesus, right? Temporary comfort can leave us and and have us miss an abundance of even greater comfort that God has intended for us down the road. And that's really, I guess, if there was a ta-da moment, the, the big finale, the payoff pitch for you, this is what I want you to walk away with today. We have to be willing to let go of what's comfortable for the sake of doing what's right. We have to be willing to let go of what's comfortable for the sake of doing what's right. Right? The, the memory verse that we read before, what did it talk about? We have to pick up our cross, right? I want to be careful here because um, 
it can be really easy to start like, oh, this is going to start to turn into like a, a message about guilt or shame. And it, believe me, it's far from that. It's, it's also not necessarily about banding all the comforts that God has chosen to bless us with, right? And I think that that's an important distinction as well. It is about not placing our desire for our own comfort in front of that which God calls us to. Whether it's staying awake, whether it's moving cross-country or across the world. Rather than being an old dog by a warm fire, we're called to be vigilant, just like the disciples were that night in the garden. That's what's right. Our vigilance dictates the fullness of our spiritual experience. While there is power in proximity, merely being next to Jesus, close to Jesus, like the disciples were, although they were asleep, the reality is the power is multiplied when we push into what's uncomfortable or out of our routine so that we can obey Jesus. So what do we need to do to to be right, so to speak? How do we overcome the temptation of being an old dog by a warm fire? Here's how I think we avoid some of the warm fires in life. Number one, we have an honest conversation with ourselves. And that right there can be a really scary thing. We also want to be careful here because, again, I don't want it to sound like guilt or shame. Instead, I want you to ask yourself, where am I most susceptible to the temptation of a warm fire in my life? And it's going to be different for all of us. Where are areas in my life that I have intentionally been led astray from my path of Jesus? Where is my routine lead me astray? Here's a couple of quick tests that you can do right now in your mind. Ask yourself, am I more likely to spend time reading scripture or reading reviews on Amazon for a widget that I'm thinking about purchasing? Am I more likely to like a post of my friend's picture of their dinner? Or am I more likely to spend some time in quiet solitude listening for the whisper of God's spirit? Am I more likely to come here on Sundays and be a consumer? Or am I willing to push beyond my comfort zone and serve willingly where this community needs me to serve? I use those other examples because those are the ones that I struggle with. Yeah, to a T, right? To a T. The second thing that I think we should do after we have that honest conversation with ourselves is go back to the basics, to prayer and reading and serving. And before we're tempted to think that false equivalency, like, oh, Devin just says I need to pray more, therefore I'm a better disciple. It, it, no, okay? I teach history, not math, for one, Okay. <laughs> It's about having a change in a mindset, right? It's about being able to pursue a rich and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the same time, also understanding that that pursuit may lead me to things that are uncomfortable. We will never have a rich and authentic experience with Jesus if we're focused on our own comfort first. That's about as blunt as I can put it. Earlier today, uh, Andy talked about my introversion and depression and anxiety and a laundry list of other things that I I was dealing with a few years ago. And I can tell you for certain um, that the last thing, the last thing that I wanted to do was to start serving again. I didn't think I was ready for that. 
right? It was comfortable for me to um, come to the back and, and sit against the wall by myself, right? Arrive when the first song started, excuse myself to the restroom when, you know, Tara's let's meet everyone introversion circle of hell happens. And it's true people. How many of you are introverts? I'm sorry. I'm taking a break. Yeah, thank you. Okay. You, mm, all right. We'll talk later. No, we won't because that's what, not what introverts do. So <laughs> never mind. The last thing I wanted to do was to engage and serve because it meant a couple things. It meant one, that I have to be accountable to someone. Gross. Okay. And two, it meant that I had to engage with people. I, you're, you look like fabulous people, but no. Okay. Except my one slanket homie over here. Right. Okay. Um, it, it was way easier. It was way easier to just do what was comfortable. And, and. I wasn't ready to have that serious talk with myself until this guy over here pushed me to do it, right? And kept pushing. See, when there's no expectation to, to serve, I could just come in and do my thing, right? It's kind of like, there's some comedy about it, right? That like, we've been part of this church for almost 17 years and I don't know a lot of you and you don't know me. Like my plan was working until he foiled it, right? <laughs> But I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he did. Um, what I'm trying to get to here is that while I still wince at part of this, I realize it helps me stay vigilant. It helps me wake up, get off the ground, and stay awake for that one hour. And, well, maybe not if Andy's preaching, but stay awake. <laughs> Come for the gospel, stay for the comedy. Um, but, but if it weren't for him pushing me, right, I would be living in, in comfort, but I would not have this transformational experience that my heart and soul yearns for. Having an honest conversation with yourself is the step to what's going to bring you closer to Christ. Remaining vigilant is the other. We have to be willing to let go of what's comfortable for the sake of doing what's right. And once we understand that our vigilance determines the fullness of our spiritual experience, we are on the right path. I'm going to ask Calvin and the flannels to come on up again. And, and as they do, I, I've got a confession to make. <laughs> You're leaning forward, taking notes. I love it. Um, that's, that's, by the way, how I get the high schoolers' attention, right? Like when I sit down, they're like, I have something to confess. And then all of a sudden, phones go down and they're like, tell us, tell us. We're here for you. Um, there are only a couple of songs in the entire universe that are so powerful that they're actually difficult for me to listen to. Like I can't get through it. Right. Um, and even as I'm like starting this now and I'm, I'm looking at some of my notes here, it like, I feel things starting to well up just thinking about the song. And in fact, if, if I hear the song sometimes like playing in the background, like at the supermarket or something, I'm just like, time to go, time to go. Um, and those of you that do know me, you're, you're probably asking yourself, like, which stick song is it? Um, and while they are the undisputed, unequivocal kings of rock, um, I will say this actually isn't a, a stick song, though it is from the same era. Um, at the top of the list of songs that I, I can't listen to because of their, what it does to me is, is a song that comes out of the same 1970s by a guy named Harry Chapin called Cats in the Cradle. 
Yeah. And what you're not seeing, but I see perfectly up here, is there's a lot of dudes in here getting nervous right now because you know what the lyrics are to that song, right? And some of you are like, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't go there. Guy code, guy code, right? For those of you who are uninitiated, Cats in the Cradle is a ballad about this kid that comes into the world and the dad that is so wrapped up with everyday stuff that he foregoes spending the time with the kid, right? And then there comes this point in the life where the dad wants to spend time with the kid, but the kid is now busy and doesn't have time to spend with the dad. Let, let, me, let me just read some of these heart-wrenching lyrics to you. No, there's no way. I'm not going to do that. I'm kidding. I can't do that. I can't do that to me. Um, but uh, <laughs> I will break down in a fetal position here. Um, Cats in the Cradle is basically a three minute and 48 second gut wrenching expose on the regrets of misspending your time. That's it. That's what it is. Right? And if we are focused on the wrong things, if we are focused merely on our comfort, that song is going to be all too relevant to all of our lives. We missed out. Friends, the disciples were handpicked by Jesus. For, for all intents and purposes, they won the spiritual lottery. They got to hang out with Jesus all day, every day for three years. They witnessed his miracles. They heard his teachings. They're, they left their entire lives behind. They swore oaths of loyalty to the end. And yet... In Jesus' final hours, even they, even they chose to be old dogs by a warm fire. We can't fall victim to the inevitability of time marching forward. Inevitably, this time of year, we start to think about that, right? End of the calendar year. What are my New Year's resolutions? Another year gone. Another Christmas celebrated. But we can't fall victim to that and just let that time pass by. We won't want to awake one day to find this, this eerie mirroring of the cats in the cradle. And we, we missed our opportunity for the sake of our own comfort. Instead of being old dogs by a warm fire, we, we need to find our comfort in our commitment to Jesus. My invitation to you today is super simple. Answer Jesus' call to vigilance. And that looks different for all of us. There's not one right answer. That's why you have to have that hard conversation with yourself. I invite you to engage with him. Sit quietly. Listen. It may be something that's put on your heart that feels very uncomfortable. And that's good. I invite you to engage with this community. And by the way, that means I need to do a better job of that as well. But I also invite you to engage with like our community, Santa Cruz, beyond the workplace, right? Be vigilant in those times as well. Forgo that which satisfies our temporary desires, our need for comfort, and, and instead do what is right in his name. Will you pray with me? Father God, you are good. This is such a wonderful example of how even though those that you handpicked found themselves pursuing their own levels of comfort in in your, your most trying hours that you still loved. And so my prayer, God, is one, first and foremost, that we know that you love us and you want us to push out of the comfort zone because you love us.
I pray that you would give us the courage to have these honest conversations with ourselves and with you. And I pray that whatever answer your spirit brings each and every one of us to, that ultimately we would not be old dogs by a warm fire, but that we would get up and follow you to remain vigilant and pursue those things that you have in store for us. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org. Thank you.